2: Take it to the Lord in prayer. You know, you're in union with His Spirit. I don't think there's anything that you can tell Him that He doesn't already know, not even the depth of your sorrow or pain or joy or whatever you're going through. But taking it to Him in prayer allows you to recognize that He has it all, that you're literally living in His presence, that you possess His life. And entering into agreement, because prayer is really what it should be. If, if it's what it should be, it should be entering into agreement with the Father's heart and will concerning every situation. That's what we pray. We pray for His will. Not that His will won't be done, but that we are a party to it, that we enter into it, that we worship Him in the midst of it. Now that's what makes prayer powerful for us. Because it's not a matter of you invoking the power of God. It's you entering into the flow, the activity, the working of the power of God. And how sweet a privilege it is that he allows us that. that he allows us to enter into the counsel of the triune being. To hear his counsel in the very depths of our being, and saying yes and amen. Well, today we're going to start the fifth and final chapter of the book of James. I'm going to remind you of some of the context of this, and that is James is not just writing to one fellowship or one church. He is writing to the Jews of the dispersion. And that is a collective of small fellowships that have been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, scattered by the persecution that had been inflicted on them by Jewish leaders. so the issue the Spirit of God is addressing in this letter are universal it 's not just to one particular fellowship or one particular individual, but it is universal throughout all of the churches that are spread in the dispersion. And the persecution was very, very difficult for these Christians to bear. They were being abused by their own people, that made it tough. They were used to the abuse of Romans and Gentiles because of their contempt for the Jews. But this persecution was coming at the hands of people they knew, friends and family. And it was driving them out of the society that they'd always seen as their heritage. And to a large degree, their identity. It made them outcasts. And as I have said, these believers had begun to form small communities and churches in various places. And this is who the Spirit of God through the pen of James is writing to. And what we know because of the ongoing exposition of James is that he is calling these people back to faith. He's calling them out of carnality into faith. Now, we talked last week about what exactly carnality is and what it means to walk according to the Spirit, which is very important if we're going to understand why Paul's writings and James' writings and most of the New Testament has a reoccurring theme that calls believers either out of the deception of... of, uh, Uh, false teachers, out of the deception of Judaism, out of the deception of living to the law, and out of the deception of carnality, which is the umbrella which all of those things live under. So, it was tough for them. They were really getting used to a whole new normal. They had gotten used to the idea that they were living under Roman persecution. They had gotten used to the idea of what the Jews had to remain within their society to avoid some of the conflicts with the Romans. And they had continued to live and trade within that society for many years. And then with the change of Roman leadership, suddenly we had a change in the Jewish leadership's approach to Christians. Many of them had become Christians after Pentecost. And there were Jewish fellowships or uh, churches, Christian churches out there, that had been largely ignored and tolerated. In fact, some of these Jews attended both. But no longer was that possible. Now they were ostracized. Now they were rejected. Their lifelong associations had been cut off from them. Their Their financial security, their established homes and businesses had been threatened. And many of them were on the run. They were struggling to provide food and shelter for their families, and they were being taken advantage of by their own people, and as always, the Romans and the Gentiles. They were no longer insulated by their community, but were easy targets for the wicked, Now, there is in all of this, of course, that temptation for them to return back to Judaism and or go underground in their Christianity and live in self-protection and bitterness. In our text today, James is once again warning against living to the world and living to the flesh, having an external perception. He is going to talk directly at the beginning of this to the wicked wealthy, which would be verses 1 through 6. He'll address them head on. And I'm going to explain why he does that. But just because he's talking to the wicked wealthy, don't think you don't have a dog in this hunt and go off to sleep, because we're going to address exactly why he does what he does. A few theologians that I read believe that James is addressing wealthy members of the congregation, but how many of these believers would have been wealthy and have, if they were, would have any interest in what he would have had to say in this message? Secondly, James makes it clear in this text that these people are going to be judged by God and they're going to face his eternal wrath. So these are not believers he's talking to. It's unlikely that James had any expectation of the wicked wealthy actually hearing this. Now, there's another reason for James uh, James addressing the eternal peril of the wicked wealthy, and that is to illustrate an insidious work of carnality that already begun to settle in the souls of these believers. The enemy and the world cannot take you out of Christ. There's an emotional threat there. But they can't do that. They cannot change who you were born again to be. That can never change. Your behavior won't change it. So that leaves them with only one option. That is to change your definition of life from eternal to temporal. From spiritual to physical. From faith in God to hope in man. In this way, the enemies of God work to destroy his children's ability to live in an intimate relationship or fellowship with God and create for them a carnal way of living. It keeps them in a carnal state. It robs them of the true joy and wondrous anticipation of all that God has for them in this life and in eternity. We as Christians must choose to either live by faith or live the way the lost man does. We live by faith, not by circumstance or the experiences of life. Now I mentioned this verse in Bible study, but Romans one seventeen is a verse that we quote quite often around here, and it says, For in the gospel, Paul writes, For in the gospel the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is revealed, both springing from faith and leading to faith, disclosed in a way that awakens more faith. As it is written and forever remains written, the just and upright shall live by faith. We are born to live in the righteousness of God, that's salvation. If you're a child of God, you were born to live in the right standing, in right relationship, in the righteousness of God. That sprang from faith into salvation for us. And it made us alive in Christ as new spiritual beings that were made to live by faith. By faith into salvation, recreated, reborn, are born again to live by faith. And in living by faith, what happens? We shall be awakened by the experiences of life, by the situations that we live in, by just living life, we will be awakened to greater faith. And that's the process of maturity. We're born into salvation And as we're born into salvation, we learn that we have to live by faith. But we don't have a clue what that means initially. We think faith is just the first step to get us into heaven. And that was all the walking we thought we would have to do. But we found out that that isn't the case. Because all that the Bible tells us about what the abundant Christian life is requires faith. And what's even worse about that, not only does it require faith, but in order to know faith, it requires you to live in a world that has lots of trouble. In a body that has lots of trouble in circumstances that are not necessarily pleasant. And in living life from cradle to grave, we experience a lot of things. And even before we come into Christ, what we knew or what we came to know before we came into Christ now comes under the context of faith, because now I can see God in it. Right? And now on the other side... I've learned that faith is not just knowing the Bible. Faith is not just doing what I think Christians should do. Faith is living out in the troubled times that I'm in, living out of the pains in my body, living out of even the joys and the delights of life, like new babies, grandbabies. Faith is living in every single moment, knowing Him in that moment. That's what expands faith awakens faith. I call it provoking faith. Now, we like to complain about our bad situations, the difficulties. You know, I'm in this miserable job. I have this misery in my body. I have this difficult spouse. And we want to complain about those things, but those are the very things that God has allowed us to have in order to do what? To be miserable or to awaken faith? That's exactly what he's done. This greater faith is a greater knowing and revelation of Christ who is your life. So we have a choice. We can live this life according to the flesh and endure the highs and lows of our existence here as the godless do. Or we can live life by faith and know whatever we experience is an awakening to greater faith that will inspire eternal hope and everlasting joy. Romans eight eighteen, Paul wrote, For I consider from the standpoint of faith that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed in us. The glory is in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you can't see it. But you know it how? By faith. Exactly. So by faith, I know the glory that one day will be revealed. And here's what I know by faith about that glory. That these present sufferings are not even worthy to be compared to it. That's what Paul is saying. The difficulties of this life are, are, don't even compare. So, why am I complaining? Why am I, why am I bitter? Why am I angry? Why am I constantly calling out to the Lord and saying, Why have you left me in this place? Why am I doing that? Because I have forgotten who I am and I have forsaken faith. Now, you say, but pastor, it says very clearly we're to bring our troubles. Take it to the Lord. Everything we take to the Lord. You know why you take it to the Lord? So you can get some perspective. So you can get some clarity. And I'm standing there with my little sack of problems before the almighty God who is holding the universe together. And I'm saying, Lord, Savior of all, creator of all, God of God, kings of kings, glorious Lord, would you just take a look at these problems? And you know what he says? Put them down and look at me. Put them down and look at me. We're going to see in our text today, what we're going to see is the Spirit's work to lift the eyes of these believers from their circumstances to their God, to renew their faith and joy in being children of God. Now, let's look at our text, and we will be reading James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Okay? Just stand with me while we read. James... Chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. James writes, Come quickly now, you rich who lack true faith and hoard and misuse your resources. Weep and howl over the miseries, the woes, the judgments that are coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and is ruined, and your fine clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up your treasure in these last days when it will do you no good. Look! The wages that you have fraudulently withheld from the laborers who have mowed your fields are crying out against you for vengeance. And the cries of the harvesters have come to the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And on the earth... You have lived luxuriously and abandoned yourself to soft living and led a life of wanton pleasure, self-indulgence, self-gratification. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and have put to death the righteous man. He offers you no resistance. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now... That was pretty rough, huh? He, was, he really came down on the wicked wealthy. Now, understand that God doesn't have a problem with wealth. He's the one that, makes, that distributes it. He allows even the wicked to have wealth. If it weren't for God's allowance, they wouldn't even have breath. But God allows it. So James says, come now. And it's very forceful. He says, now pay attention. Come and listen. This is present imperative. Be listening. So there is emotion or force behind this. And it is, hey, listen to this. Those of you who have chosen to live apart from God. Now again, why is he doing this if the wicked wealthy aren't in front of him? Because you need to see the truth of this. Because you need to understand something. Even those among us need to understand something. Your life is eternal. Your life is eternal and you are destined for glory. And if you are looking at life in any other context, you have flat missed it. So come now. Look at the condition of the rich who seem to have it all. The wicked wealthy. Hey, listen. The issue is that strength and temporal things of this world and in the body will empower your flesh and cause you to reject faith. The rich are empowered to live in this life, to live apart from faith. The challenges of life are to provoke faith and reliance on God. So wealth is not inherently sinful, but living from wealth is Relying on wealth is. Having your security in wealth is. I don't care what all of the prosperity gospel guys tell you. God is not securing you in this world. Do you hear me? God is not securing you in this world. And no, you can't necessarily have the security in this world that a lost man has. And so those of you who are looking at the wealthy or the wicked wealthy and saying, you know what, I think that'd be good. You are carnal in your thinking. You don't know who you are. You are distracted because you lust after the things of this world. The rich are empowered to live apart from faith. And listen, it's not just the rich. The individual who's highly intellectual. The individual who's very attractive. The individual who's powerful in personality. The people who are successful with people. They're empowered to live apart from faith. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be a Christian if you're attractive. It means that you have a choice and everything that would empower your flesh will empower you to live apart from faith. Anything that you can say, my flesh has, my flesh can glory in, my flesh is able to, is you stepping away from my God who is able. It's you stepping away from dependency if it is not held as God's and used in humble submission to His will, then it will empower independence and pride and self indulgence and entitlement. Now, that is the way of flesh to take what God has given you and see it as belonging to your humanity for your humanity. Now notice James doesn't say that the judgments might be coming. You could possibly be judged. He doesn't call them to weep in repentance. But in the miseries that are coming, present tense, that means that there are miseries ongoing and that are going to continue to come. And there is this loud mourning and weeping. It is an anguished cry. Because what has happened is a realization that they need a God. They need a Savior. Because their prosperity in this life has caused them to believe that they don't. Now let me talk about that a second. Needing a Savior is not just for eternity. Needing a Savior is for every moment that you take in air. Needing a Savior is waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, I am wholly dependent upon you. Lord, I need your life. I need your presence. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your truth to be ever present in my soul. I need to walk in the fullness of your love. I need to walk in the reality that you are with me. I need to walk in the purity of your Son. I need my mind to be focused upon you. I need your salvation from this world. I need your salvation from this flesh. I need your salvation from the things around me. I need your salvation from the propensity to live independently. Start the day where you are. In absolute and complete dependence upon Him. Because what happens when we get angry, when we get frustrated, is we realize that we have to be dependent. Right? You know, things are out of whack, God. I'm coming to you because, you know, I just, the job didn't happen. I'm coming to you because my body is failing. Lord, why am I in this place? Lord, why did you do this to me? Lord, I need you to come and intervene in this. I need you to set things back to normal. Lord, why am I in this condition? And you know why you're complaining? Because you don't believe you have a God. You believe that you have a part-time rescuer who will come in and lift you out of it all. And he may very well do it. So why don't we just start with the idea that we already have a God and that the only reason you are where you are is because he allowed it and that he has purpose in your circumstances and that all the things that are happening to you are calling you not to complain not to cry out but to provoke faith in believing that your God is bigger and greater than anything that you might be enduring in the moment. How about that?
1: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road, and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.